everyone, and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am John out here in a white winter wonderland of the Northeast, and I am joined, as always, by Chris out in the Pacific Northwest. Hello, Christopher. Hello, John. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm better now that Christmas is in the rearview mirror. Yeah, How about such a great... Are- well, listen, you survived it, right? And all is well. Yeah, it was an unusual one, but, uh, you know, I, I'm a sucker for Christmas. So uh, even this one I managed to enjoy a little bit. Well, we are bracing for what will likely be a long winter with hopefully a lovely bright light at the end of winter's chilly gray tunnel. And uh, 2020 is thankfully almost finished because I think we can agree that this has been a strange, strange year. So with that in mind, Chris, we're going to take a bit of a departure this week and um, we're going to wrap up 2020 with an album that's really not quite rock and roll, right? It's, uh, it's something that I think is perfect for your mellow, socially distanced New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, New Year's Day celebration. It's uh, perfect for a quiet night on quiet stars, shall I say? Indeed. But would you agree that this is an album that can be equally effective, not simply in the winter, but also in the spring and summer, uh, when we're hopefully out of this madness? Why don't you uh, tell our listeners what they want to hear? I think this is an album that will work all year round. Um, I think it's one that's got a real spring and summer feel to me, but in the winter... Sometimes that's what you need. Uh, We're going back to March of 1964. Stan Getz and Yao Gilberto doing Getz Gilberto, the album that really kicked off Bossa Nova in America. This is, so far, I'm listening listening closely with John and Chris, the oldest album that we have tackled. Did you know that? I did. I think it it outdoes uh, Love um, Forever Changes by a few years by I think three years and this is probably the most different album in the sense that it's uh it's not your typical rock and roll although I think this had an important uh influence on certain elements of rock and roll and I'm incredibly excited to uh to dive into this album and you know we didn't think it would be enough to wrap up 2020 with just Chris and I so we wanted to bring back an old friend to the show and someone who, Chris, I don't know if you know this, but this is the man who actually turned me on to Bossa Nova when I was a gangly college kid in the mid to late 1990s. And he's making his second appearance on Listen Closely with John and Chris and his first appearance of season two and certainly not his last. So please welcome back to the show from Virginia, Jim Moskater. Hello, Jim. Oh, wow. Uh, hey, it's great to be here, John. I didn't realize I was when I was backstage. I heard you talking about uh, the, the, me turning you on to the Bossa Nova, and, I, and that's a that's a special thrill. I don't think I remembered that. I'm starting to now, but uh, great to be here. Hi, Chris. Well, it's great to have you back. And uh, how are things down in Virginia? They're great. They're icy. They're icy. Uh, we were supposed it was it was we were supposed to get a big eight to twelve inches. Um, but you know, we get disappointed, uh, as many do. And, uh, 
I mean, a certain percentage do, I guess. But um, but yeah, and and so I'm looking out the window now, and I'm just seeing uh, icy trees, uh, and I'm just thinking of Kevin Klein weeping in a car at the New Canaan train station. The ice storm, of course. That's right. That's right. Probably the first time I ever looked at Christina Ricci and thought, you know, <laughs> she's pretty sexy. <laughs> Was she like twelve? A lot of a lot of awakenings in that movie. A lot of awakenings. <laughs> there were. She wasn't twelve, Chris. I mean, she might have been like sixteen, but still, that was a. Uh, they got drunk, film. didn't they? They got drunk, and I, I mean, I, this is not. I, I'm not. I, I was alluding to this pre-show with the ice storm, so I'm not trying to like secretly take over with the. Uh, <laughs> turn this into a, a movie podcast. No, anyway. they got drunk. They were under the covers. It was her and uh, was it Elijah Wood who seemed appropriately named well you know it's funny that you say just this is the last thing i'll say on this is when i was looking out the window and i saw all the trees like covered in ice i thought of elijah wood when he gets electrocuted in that film i was like oh, this is the kind of weather where elijah wood was killed and uh, <laughs> well on that note <laughs> on that note <laughs> sorry so i know that there's our listening audience out there is scratching their heads right now and they're thinking why jazz why the hell Bossa Nova? Isn't this podcast about rock and roll? Even if, and Chris, let's face it, oftentimes it's the softer side of rock and roll. But, you know, for starters, Chris, and I'm sure you would agree, this is a great album. And secondly, Bossa Nova's outstanding music and versatile music at that. I think we can all agree you could do anything with this album into Bossa Nova. It's good winter music. Chris, it's good uh, spring and summer music, as as you indicated. You can cook to this album. You can drink to this album. You can be hung over to this album. You can screw to this album. And 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 finally, and this is very important. Many of the singer songwriters that we've profiled here on Listen Closely with John and Chris, or who you have heard us mention on the podcast, were heavily influenced by Bossa Nova. I'm talking about. George Michael, maybe a little bit of Brian Ferry, particularly on his first two albums after the Roxy Music split. And then you have that entire sophisticated subgenre music from the mid-1980s that was born out of Bossa Nova. And I think you guys know what I'm talking about, like Style Council, Sade, Simply Red. And let's not forget that one of the most amazing songs from the 1970s, one of my all-time favorites, I'm Not In Love by 10CC actually started out as a Bossa Nova ballad when the oh, wow. song was first written before they went into the studio. It was totally Bossa Nova. So oh, wow. I think that right there justifies why we we're discussing this album on this episode. That's all I have to say. Oh. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, you know, it's not listening closely to rock and roll with John and Chris. It's just listen closely. and. Uh, this is an incredible album. What's underneath rock and roll and pop music? It's sex, right? It's, it's, it's sexy. And this has that same sort of sexiness to it. You know, it's a very smooth kind of sensual album. It's just cool. So I, I think it has every, uh, every right to be here with the rock and pop that we've talked about. And you're right, it, it did influence a lot of the artists that we've, uh, that we've covered. And these guys are just, they're just pioneering musicians. Um, you know, Stan Getz is this incredible saxophonist and uh, Gilberto, uh, this amazing guitarist. And then 
Antonio Carlos uh, Jobim, the legendary uh, Brazilian musician, uh, composed a lot of the tracks on this album. So um, it's just and, a round masterpiece. And let's not forget the unlikely hero or heroine of the album, if you will, is uh, Gilberto's wife, Astrid uh, Gilberto, uh, who yeah. ends up singing a couple of the tracks and they end up uh, becoming huge, huge hits. Jimmy, your thoughts on this? Oh, no, it's, it's, uh, you can't really mess with it. The whole thing fits together. I mean, it can't really, it's, it's bulletproof. Yeah, it is. And it's, to me, it's such an, it really is an album. Like I found it really hard, you know, we always pick our, our low points, our sleeper moments and our high points of the album. And on this, I found it just so hard because I don't think I've ever listened to this album thinking or, or gone to this album thinking, oh, I'm just going to listen to a song or two. Like if I'm listening to this album, I'm listening to the whole thing and it just flows one into another. And it's almost like one giant song to me than a collection of songs. You have to be fully committed, I think, to listen to this album, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's, it just puts you in a mood, and it's so atmospheric. I find it hard to find, like Jim's saying, like, it's tough to find any, any fault with it. Let's talk for a moment about the critical reception of the album. So the album is widely considered to be a watershed moment in jazz music, and probably the defining moment in Bossa Nova. It would help make Antonio Carlos Jobim a household name here in the States. And a few years later, he'd even record an album with Sinatra. Mm. Now, in 2012, Rolling Stone ranked the album number 447 on their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And that's fairly significant considering that those are rock and roll albums. And here's a little jazz bossa nova album appearing on the list. And I think that's pretty important. The album would win four Grammys in 1965, including Album of the Year. So I think it's safe to say that this album really did uh, take the world by storm and, and take the United States by storm. And I think, again, that's one of the reasons why we're here discussing it this week. Absolutely. I, I, you know, this album kicks off with the girl from Ipanema. And I think I read that after the Beatles yesterday, that is the most, uh, most recorded uh, song in the history of music. Yeah. Really? I mean, it's just everywhere. I mean, it's, it's so iconic. But aside from that, there's so many great deeper cuts on this album, too. Well, why don't we get into the cuts? What do you fellas say? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So let's start with an Adir. Uh, Chris, you, you talked about this being an amazing album. You talked about sitting down and listening to it start to finish. But as we always do on the podcast, there has to be a track that maybe you're not 100% on board with, and that's what I want to hear about. Well, it's, it's an almost impossible question. And uh, frankly, I resent you for even asking, John. But I will do my best. Um, you know, I, there's not, there's no track that on this album that I will skip over. Um, as with Jim, when you were here last time and we did Steely Dan's Asia, there's a track on there that we all just sort of despised. Um, on this, there's none that I really dislike. For me, there is one that, uh, that I can kind of do without a little bit. 
Um, and that is towards the end of the album, Oh Grande Amor. To me, the song, this whole album is so smooth and polished and has a softness to it. And that one, it's got a little more of a ragged edge to it. Um, some of Getz's saxophone gets a little bit more harsh at times. It's got a little bit more of like the typical jazz, like like repetitive kind of thing at, at times towards the end. And Can you do that one more time? I cannot, John. I definitely cannot Come do on, that. Yet. One more, one more, Chris. Come on. <laughs> but I think it just it just doesn't quite have that that smooth sensual sound as much as the rest of the album to me. Okay, fair enough, Jim. What about you? Um, you know, I was gonna say the same thing, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna change that answer. Oh my! Um, because tonight, um, prior to coming on the show, I. I I don't know how I forgot this. I mean, it does make sense since the movie came out, what, 22 years ago, I guess this month or last month. Ice Storm. Um, sure. O Grande Amor is in that. Uh, I don't really? remember where at all, but it is on the soundtrack. And I do remember it appears somewhere in the film, and now I have to go back and watch it and get all depressed, um, <laughs> which is I a shame. I have it on DVD. Now I'm, now I'm intrigued. It's got the funniest ending to a movie. I mean, let's come on. With Kevin Conkrank. Anyway, um, so so I'm going to put that as, I'm not going to say that that's a, I'm going to just do a different answer. I think so, Sodanko Samba, uh, just because of, uh, I don't know. It's a, I just find that annoying. <laughs> I just find it annoying. But, but I find all the songs li are, li are kind of linked together, as Chris, Chris mentioned. Um, although I did do a little digger, a little bit of a deeper, deeper dive into the, the content of the songs and so forth. Uh, and, and they are not, you know, all identical and they have their own merits and so forth. And, and there's lots of differences. But but yeah, the mood of the album, however, is, is pretty consistent. But that that one, eh, I could take it or leave it. Well, you know, it's interesting you should say that, Jim, because I, I also went with so Danco Samba. Is it Danco or Danco? I, my Portuguese is a Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm it's not great. Um, <laughs> but that was my choice for Nadir. It's not a bad song by any means. In fact, there's part of me that kind of likes it. But in the middle <laughs> yes, of it, Getz <laughs> has this like a little bit of a ridiculous sax solo. And I, I think, Chris, it's not unlike what you were talking about with your, your Nadir. Um, <laughs> But I think it's a little over the top, a little out of place. And I think it temporarily kills the momentum of, of the song. And again, not a bad song, but not at all, me, yeah. it, it's just not as good as the rest of the album. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind that one as, as much, but um, I do hear it's, it's got a little different tempo. You know, it's a little more, a little more in your face at points, I think. Not one of my favorites. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Well, when, when we disagree, that's the beauty of this podcast, isn't it? That's right. Shall we move on to the sleeper? Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, why don't, you, uh, why don't you share with us what you chose as your sleeper? You know, this was tough because, as I said earlier, I went and sort of dug a little deeper with... Uh, the lyrical content of the songs and so forth, but I'm going to say Dora Lee's track two. And why? And why? Oh, no, no, I know. I was just, uh, you know, 
waiting for the laugh track. No, so uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know the lyrics to it, but there's a lot going on lyrically. Um, in addition to the third song, which I can mention later, but uh, you know, it seems to be like he's being pursued by a woman. Uh, he can't seem to leave her. He didn't want her as his wife, but but there they are together. It's got a catchy tune. I find myself dancing to it. Uh, it's you know, it's one of the ones where because you know, I th- I feel like the standouts on the album are like "Girl from Ipanema." Um, mm-hmm. Is it Corcovado? Corcovado, sure. Corcovado, is it this? This say it. Stefanato. Yeah, those three are like the big standouts, and then of course on the Ice Storm soundtrack, El Grande Amor. But um, I just feel like this one gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, this and the third track, I would say. Uh, but yeah, so track two, all the way, or at least. Yeah, that's a it's a good one. It's got a nice little little bounce to it. It's a little more more up-tempo than some of the other ones, I think, right? Mm-hmm. I would agree. In fact, I'm going to piggyback on that. My sleeper moment is track two, Doralise. Uh, my biggest issue was I didn't know how to pronounce it. Was it Doralise? Was it Doralis? Was it... Oh, was it Doralis? Oh, fuck. Now I've... I don't know. I don't know. I was myself as a fraud. But I, I enjoyed the song. And in fact, listening to this album this time around, uh, in prep for this episode, I really got into it. Interestingly enough, it's one of only two songs on this album not composed by Antonio Carlos Jobim. But I, I think it's quick, it's fun, and this is important to note, I think. It comes on the heels of Girl from Ipanema, which is a hard act to follow, as mm-hmm. that was the big hit off the album. And let's not forget, the original version of Girl from Ipanema on the album is just over five minutes long, which... I think it's rather lengthy for 1964. So the the positioning, if you will, of Doralise or Doralis, whatever we want to call it's it, Doralise, Doralise is it's a tricky one, but I think it's a song that's up for the challenge. I really like it. Yeah, it's a great it's a great song, and I'm I'm gonna ride the Segway train here. Because, Jesus uh, you know, Jim, you mentioned your your other choice was the third track. Mm. That's my sleeper, baby. Uh, Pra Manchukar Meu Corasau. I think I'm going to go with that. Um, but I love the the translation that I found is to squash mm-hmm. my heart, which is it's pretty fucked up. Um, wow. Yeah, and it uh, you know it gets pretty deep here. It's been a year and a half. Love that our home broke apart. Uh, my Sabia. I'm not sure if that's a name. Um, my guitar and a cruel disappointment was all that was left to squash my heart. Some dark stuff going on in here for a Bossa Nova song. But don't um, you feel like sometimes Bossa Nova's finest moments are its darkest, its weirdest, its most unpredictable? I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think what there's this tension between like, this is such a, a beautiful melodic tune and it's got these dark lyrics underneath it. I think that that's part of what makes it so great. Did yes. you almost go with Doralise, Chris? Did you almost go with Doralise? Um, no, I didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> we could have had all three of us in unison with Doralise. That's all I'm saying. In the carbon copy of the, uh, the Asia episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I am reading here, though, that 
actually Sabia is not the woman's name. It is a common bird in Latin America. Hmm. Just, uh, just so we don't get a lot of letters from Brazilian Portuguese listeners um, upset with my translation. And we do. So I saw in my translation it said thrush, which is, I guess, a different. Uh, oh, that's a bird. Another word for a bird, I guess. That's a yeah. synonym. Yeah, th- type of bird. I'm, the, I'm now. I'm going to offend the bird community. And now look at me. <laughs> Ruined your coming back on the show again. again. <laughs> never, never come back. Fuck. Anyway. Well, we we've made it through the sleepers. Uh, I think now it's time to discuss the zenith. Would you all agree? Mm-hmm. I concur. Don't sound so excited. Okay. <laughs> um, you know what? I, mm-hmm. I'm going to start. I'm I'm actually going to start with my zenith. I think this album is outstanding from start to finish. But from the moment, Chris, that we decided we were going to devote an episode to this podcast, uh, of, of, of this podcast, rather, to this album, I knew what My Zenith was. Mm-hmm. And this was a no-brainer for me. My Zenith is Corcovado. Mm-hmm. Um, it's simple. It's haunting. It's beautiful. The English lyrics really paint a lovely picture. Quiet nights, quiet stars, quiet chords from my guitar floating on the silence that surrounds us, quiet thoughts and quiet dreams, quiet walks by quiet streams in the window, looking on the mountains in the sea. Oh, how lovely. I mean, this is poetry. And I think that if you look at the artists who have covered this song, it speaks volumes for just how beloved the song has been over the years. Um, I did a quick search as, as far as who was recorded cover versions of Corcovado, and you have Sinatra, Engelbert Humperdinck, Cliff Richard, uh, Mary Wilson of the Supremes, Queen Latifah, Andrea Bocelli, Art Garfunkel, and this is just to name, what, half a dozen or so. But um, as good as maybe some of those covers may be, nothing beats the original on this album with Astro Gilberto's haunting, monotone vocals at the very beginning of the song. I love this song. To me, it really just makes the album what it is, and that's incredibly special. And that's all I'm going to say. You wanna you wanna jump in, Jim? Yeah, Jimmy? yeah, yeah. So my my favorite is, and I don't want to say it, so I found it in, on the on the internet, and the internet can say it. Desafinado. <laughs> yeah, all right. Say it again, girl. Desafinado. Yeah. Huh. So. <laughs> You know, this is a tough. This is tough because the whole album's really good, and then you got the girl from Ipanema, and that's its own thing. And that's, I think it's a, it's it. You know, that's got its own history, which is blah 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 blah. You know about the girl from Ipanema, right? Like the the deal with her. No. Well, did he see her on a beach or something? And that's what he. Yeah, he but like she made it. a career out of it. But that's the a whole girl that he saw on the beach. Yes. Really? It's it's all right there for you in, in the internet. Uh, well, wait, posed for Playboy in 1987. Really? Posed she? with her daughter again in Playboy. Uh, so wait, she posed with her own daughter in Playboy? Yes, the girl from Ipanema. Wow. I mean, I haven't seen. Uh, I just haven't seen <laughs> yet. yet. So, um, but wait a second. In 1987, girl from Ipanema was what? What would you think? Say 50? I don't know. I mean, I think she was, she was pretty, I mean, she was a, I think she was a teenager in the like early sixties. 
All right, so she was maybe in her forties, and the daughter was maybe old even, enough yeah. to pose for Playboy. That was, oh, but that was like, the second time. Did they pose together? Like yes, the they posed together. Photos? Yes, yes. But but it wasn't like uh like what you would have seen in Hustler or Swank. Or I, well, it's Playboy, so no. It's, I mean, it's, they had standards, you know. It was tasteful. I think uh, Eloisa Pinheiro, I think is her name. Uh, so she made yes. a career out of this. She was age like, of seventeen, I'm... she became. As she was at the edge of 17 when she became the girl from Ipanema, <laughs> one could say. Born in 1945. She's the same age as Raj, my dad. Same age as my mother, which is disturbing. But, but listen, I'm sorry. I've gotten off track here. Um, <laughs> this is why we have you on the show. Yeah, yeah the girl from Ipanema has, has taken us off track, um, as well she should. I mean, that song was wonderful. And I, and I, I, but as I said, I think it's own, it's, its own thing. Um, and while it is what it is, I, I just think, yeah, you know, I like the lyrics to it too. Uh, I'm not going to recite them like you, you did, John. Uh, but you know, the, the the thing about looking at the lyrics on the album, which I thought was really interesting, was you have the girl from Ipanema, like I said, its own thing. Then you have some of these songs that are sort of like six Sodanko Samba, which is you know, hey, check out this dance craze. You know, and not not, not the deepest lyrics in the world, mm-hmm. but then you have like. The, this, the the one to Desafinado is pretty sweet, you know. The, they're they're lovers, but they're out of tune. But then you got you know the, the, this other one with a you know their their home collapsing. Uh, <laughs> so it's all over the map. But I like this one because it's sort of a combination of a uh, of a. Uh, it's a little deep, but it doesn't get too deep. No one's house collapses. Uh, two lovers are in a disagreement. But you know what it is really for me though? It's that opening melody line that you. have you know, that the, the you just hear, hear everywhere, I think. I always hear it in my head. Yeah, so I'm going to say that's my favorite song, although that is a tough call to make because I, I think they all have equal. Um, yeah, but I think it's a good call. I, I um, That was actually in the running for my for my Zenith before I ultimately went with uh, Corcovado, but I, I do love De Safinado. I think it's incredible. Oh, that's a great, yeah. That's uh, um, and I I didn't know about the Playboy spread, so really, that's yes. Just... <laughs> Chris, maybe we can get uh, pictures posted to the Twitter page. Yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll do that. We'll Instagram it. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, we'll well, that sounds fantastic. Maybe the Chris, would, we can interview the daughter for Listen Closely. Um, well, you better brush up on your Portuguese before you do. <laughs> the follow up was two thousand three. <laughs> Okay. Was who so you know. really? So at that point in time, Mama was in her fifties. Wow, wait. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now I really want to see this. Does that sound creepy? I don't know. Uh, well, wow. I'm glad I could enlighten everybody. Well, <laughs> and get everything off track. So, <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris what what was your zenith for this well, album? You know, I think those are are both. Uh, really great choices to me the one that just really gets me every time is Corcovado Mm. Um, I think the the real you know the real she's not really a sleeper because this is kind of what what kicked off her career but um Astrid Gilberto you know when she's singing I think like this album to me is those are my favorite moments and uh you know when you got like her and her husband trading off, um, you know, and she's only in a couple songs, but this is one of them. And I, I think it's, 
oh, I just think it's, it's fantastic all the way around. You know, it really showcases like every, every one of them, both of the Gilbertos and Getz is fantastic in it. Um, John, like you said, the lyrics are really just beautiful. Um, wasn't it an afterthought to have her sing? Like, wasn't she just some Brazilian housewife that they didn't think anything of? I, I read this somewhere. And she was kind of hanging out in the studio one day. And they said, well, let's have her sing a track. And, you know, the yeah. rest is history. Yeah, this supposedly was the first time that she had ever sung, like, outside of, you know, just singing around her house. Which is unreal, because she became a legend. But, yeah, that's... That's the, the top of the tops for me right there. Now, Chris, uh, while we're with you here, how well do you think the album captures the cultural zeitgeist of the era? I, I mean, it's a tricky, it's a tricky question because there's, a, I think it, it really captures like a part of the zeitgeist of that late 60s, like incredibly well, you know, the sort of smooth, I mean, created Bossa Nova. So it, it sort of was the Bossa Nova zeitgeist in terms of like the overall culture. No, but like that slice of it, you know, this is the quintessential Bossa Nova album, right? So what do you guys think? I, I would agree. I mean, I think there were a variety of different cultural zeitgeists in the 1960s, weren't there? And And I think this definitely captures a certain segment, or as you said, Chris, kind of a slice of a certain zeitgeist. And, and the smooth sounds you get from Getz and Gilberto sort of paved the way, I think, for the commercial success of the more loungy, jazzy side of the mid-1960s music. And I'm talking about music from the likes of Burt Bacharach, Herb Albert, Sergio Mendez, Esquivel. Um, not that they all necessarily sounded like gets Gilberto or Jobin, but they all provided those those same sounds. You know that kind of like the sounds for a bachelor pad in 1966 or yeah. my condo in 2020. Like it's the <laughs> it's the same sort of thing. So yeah, I think there's a certain zeitgeist. What about you, Jimmy? What do you think? Um, I think that well, first of all, I don't know if you you know I thought it was interesting when I was looking up the history of the album that. Uh, you know, they recorded this in 63, March of 63. Um, and it came out in 64, I guess, that the producer Creed Taylor sat on it for a year because he didn't think that it was going to be, thought it was going to be a, a bomb. Um, right, and if you think that. about all the stuff that happened in 1963, as you said, the, the JFK uh assassination and just, I, you know, the 60s were so nutty, you know, one year to the next. Of course. Was, you know, kind of like this, where we are now. Well, one year is its own thing. So, you know, uh, it's sort of the mid-60s, you know, you got the, uh, it's just, I just feel like that's a gulf of time. Uh, so I, I think, it, I don't think I know enough about, aside from, you know, the, the hit songs, you know, how it affected U.S. culture per se, but I do think it's interesting that, that Bossa Nova was invented or, or came about in the late 50s, so. You know, it's like uh, it took a few years to get to the, uh, the state. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But but it did have this incredibly successful run, albeit not for huge, a particularly yeah. long time, but it was huge for a good four or five years. Right. And jazz was kind of getting uh, 
getting beat down by 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 the by the rock and roll uh, craze. Exactly. Yeah. And that thing called rock and roll. Yeah. What happened to that? Yeah. <laughs> but no. So so yeah. I think sure. Absolutely. Chris, uh, any particular memories associated with the album or pop culture references that come to mind when you listen to it? Uh, well, I'll save the ice storm for Jim because uh, I know he wants to talk a little bit about that. Um, okay. But uh, oh no, I've said I've said my piece about the ice storm. Done ice storm. <laughs> I'm done with that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, all yeah. you, Chris. <laughs> Please. No, no. I'm, you know, I'll be honest. I've never actually seen the ice storm. I mean, I kind of know. Oh, it's incredible. About. Yeah. Um, Do you want to laugh? <laughs> <laughs> I hear it's a real knee slapper. Yeah, Joan Allen. In certain parts, yeah, in sure. <laughs> great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Yeah, do check it great. out. Great. You got Jim Croce on there. Oh, Jimmy Cross. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I, I sort of I believe John was the one who got me into Bossa Nova. So Jim, it's sort of like it's like we infected one another. This yeah, was, it's like. Um, You've slept with everyone who that person slept with. <laughs> this is your bossa nova contact tracing going down right now. <laughs> exactly. Hey, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, unlike unlike that kind of contact tracing, I, I I thank you for it because it you know I didn't I think I maybe got a hint of it in high school and thought oh that's kind of interesting and cool. But then it was more when I was in my twenties. When it really, when it really hit me, and when I first found this album, and really dug into it, and uh, I, I just remember listening to it and just thinking, this is, like, this is just this album is an experience, you know. It's not just a bunch of songs, but it's something that can kind of take you from like a wintry, icy day in wherever you are, and you put it on and suddenly it feels like you're, you know, either in like a, a smoky lounge uh, on an island somewhere, or you're in like a hammock and, you know, on the beaches of Cuba. Um, you know, it just had that, that transporting kind of feeling for me. Uh, and I still, I still, it still does. I mean, I, when I put it on the other, the other night, you know, when I started listening to this for the last week or so, it just, uh, man, it's just, it's just so damn good. Yeah. It transports you. I'll be it temporarily. It's only what, 34, 35 minutes long. Yeah. But it really does a great job of it. I think. Yeah. Um, what about you guys? What any, uh, I know mine wasn't particularly specific memory, but. No, but it was, it was delightful nonetheless, Chris. Um, <laughs> for me, when I listen to this album, when I listen to Bossa Nova in general, I go back to the summer of 1999, and it's very interesting. At that time, I was taking a summer class in college. It was a three-credit summer course called Music of Latin America and the Caribbean. And the instructor chose to focus largely on Bossa Nova. And needless to say, it was one of the few A's that I ever received in college. And the instructor and I used to have great discussions about the music that he would play during class. And he was like a real jazzy guy. He had his own bossa nova trio, the whole nine yards. Although he disagreed with me strongly when I said that the, um, 
I don't know if you guys remember the Astrid Gilberto George Michael duet of Desafinado. Remember this? No. Um, Guilty. I, I, I said it was good, and he got very oh, angry. No. <laughs> Threw a chair at you, probably. <laughs> he did, but I still got an A in the class. And uh, Jimmy, you and I actually worked together that summer, as I'm sure yes. you will recall. Sure, sure. And I remember we used to go on lunch break together, that deli down the road that you were quite fond of. And uh, I would tell you about the sort of listening projects that uh, we had in the class. And, and, and I just remember you and I talking about various Boston over related topics um, during that summer of 99. It's a, it's a very fond memory. Well, I, I think, I think I, I have a pretty specific uh, memory in regards to, 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 to this album. And I think, because the first time I ever really heard any of it was during an ice storm. Um, oh my! Before the ice storm came out, actually. Uh, so I'm not saying I that that uh, you know Ang Lee stole anything. I'm just saying that uh, I'll see him <laughs> in court. Listeners but, like the dots, yeah. But but the, uh, I was driving with a friend up to school, college time. I was younger. It was what? Yes, yeah, early 1997, I guess. I'm old, and. Uh, he had just purchased this like four disc set. You, I'm actually looking at it right now. You can get it on Spotify uh, for listening. It's a yeah, four disc Bossa Nova set. It's the girl from Ipanema, the Bossa Nova gears by Stan Getz. So it's just listed as a Stan Getz kind of compilation. Um, it's like three, three and a half hours of Bossa Nova. So the drive was like five hours. So, I mean, we just listened to this four discs of, and I knew that obviously the girl from Ipanema, um, you know, I just feel like that's kind of pump, was pumped into our brains. I don't know, some way, but uh, and so just here, I, I just that's and I was like, oh my god, this is great. And I'm you know, at the time, pretty young, don't really care much for jazz or not very curious about it, but it made me very curious about it. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's pretty amazing. So I was th- very thankful for that. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like Bossa Nova is one of these. It's almost like uh, like wine or like, like for me, olives, right? Like I never liked olives. And then I reached a certain age and it was like, olives are fucking amazing. Like, how did I miss this for so long? And uh, I feel like Bossa Nova is a little bit like that too, where it can kind of, you know, when you're younger, it's kind of like, what is this? You know, you might hear it once in a while and be like, what is this weird thing? And then, you know, at some point when you get, I feel like it's usually like college age, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Something, something kind of clicks in. It's like cunnilingus, almost. <laughs> exactly, John. Exactly. But I'm more curious to know, like, when did you, Chris? When did you finally truly appreciate olives? Is what I want to know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked. I think it was. Uh, I'm just say I was probably late teens. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Was there like a pivotal moment? Was it a black olive? Was it a Greek olive? Was it a kalamata? Was it something that really moved the needle for you? You know, I think it was actually at uh, Centro in downtown Fairfield. They really? put out a nice little, you know, a nice little olive dish. Uh, was it a tempanade or was it just olive? No, it was just olives, but they were kind of seasoned. There was a little bit of oil on them. And uh, yeah, one day, I'd, you know, I always avoided them, but one day I dove into them and was like, what, this is, this is phenomenal. Jimmy, how do you feel about olives? Uh, oh, I think they're great. I like them on a pizza. 
Oh, I do too. Yeah. Olive and onion, that's my go-to. Wow. Well, now I'm hungry. But before we go off and eat uh, separately, yes. let's talk about this. Um, whether or not this is a perfect album. And I think I'm going to start this one. And uh, I'm going to say for what it is and for how this album put this style of music on the map and sort of put Brazilian culture on the map, or at least here in the United States in the 1960s, then yes, it's a perfect album. Um, is it an album that I will listen to often? No, but it's incredibly important. It's incredibly enjoyable. So therefore, I think it's a perfect album. Um, Chris, what say you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, you know, we've kind of talked about what makes a perfect album before and you know to me a perfect album doesn't like literally have to be perfect and uh it just means like as it you know could you would you change anything about it if you could and i i wouldn't i think it's start to finish one that i uh um you know that i i still love and and i agree with you john like i don't you know this isn't one that i'm you know popping on every week but uh it's one that just really hits the spot sometimes. Uh, Jim, what, what about you? I think without question, it's a perfect album. I think it's, you know, it clocks in at something like, what, 34 minutes maybe? Um, and it, it, yeah, it's really, you can't, I think I said it earlier, you can't really mess with it. Like it, It's just solid for what it is. And uh, it encapsulates, like just what I was talking about before with the four disc set, which is, you know, it's a long, it's a long time to listen to that uh this you could i i just find i can listen to this repeatedly at any time um preferably in the evening uh or in the uh, winter time yeah yeah it is That's a great thing. evening yeah well yeah. we're coming up on uh new year's eve mm -hmm. and we're all likely spending new year's eve not in large gatherings but rather in smaller uh, more quaint gathering so perhaps this is the perfect soundtrack as we say farewell to 2020 and we welcome what we i think all hope will be a, a better year and we shall see and why not give it a listen um for, for mm -hmm. your new year's eve for your new year's day or for the long winter that's ahead and uh jimmy i want to thank you for joining us this week on this very special episode yes. Pleasure, it's always a pleasure having Honor. you back with us. And and we're going to see you back before the end of the season, which is very exciting. Good, good, good. I was hoping that the, that the contract stuff worked out. So. <laughs> yes, we know we've renewed the contract for a few more episodes. We can't we'll wait. Talk to Saul about that. Okay. Very good. <laughs> Absolutely. And Christopher, a, a pleasure as always. And uh, this is our last episode of 2020, but not the last episode of season two we will be back next week with uh something a little more contemporary and the last handful of episodes for season two so please join us again and happy new year everybody. listen closely with john and chris is executive produced by john de benedictus written by chris charmiello and john de benedictus Sound engineering and editing, Chris Charmiello. 
Technical Consultant, Ivo Kulishko. Management, Kyle A. Mulvey and Associates. Hair and Makeup, Salon de Stronzo. Listen Closely with John and Chris is produced using the Anchor podcasting platform.